Welcome to the Women in Business podcast series, part of BIV Today, the business intelligence podcast from Business in Vancouver. I'm Haley Wooden, executive editor of BIV. This week, we launched the latest issue of Women in Business magazine. And in conjunction with that, on this show, I'm hosting conversations with a series of BC-based female business leaders. Joining me today is Miru Dalwala, co-owner and chef at Vidges. She is an entrepreneur several times over, founder of the annual UBC Farm Joy of Feeding event, an award-winning author of several best-selling cookbooks, an inductee into the BC Restaurant Hall of Fame, an honorary degree recipient, to name just a few accolades. She is the founder of the food company My Bambiri, which we'll talk a bit about today. Miro, great to have you on the show, and thanks so much for joining our Women in Business podcast series. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Now, we have you, of course, one thing I didn't mention in your introduction, you're one of our BC 500 award recipients, uh, one of the most influential business leaders in British Columbia, according to our list. And in your bio, it says you've been running the kitchen for Vidges for about 27 years with an all-female staff. And I wanted to start there. How rare is it to have an all-female staff in this industry? I think we're the only ones um, here. You know, we had a, I opened up a restaurant in Seattle as well. And just to show how effective we can be if we're creative, um, a lot of people in Vancouver don't know this, but for the Seattle restaurant, it was called Shawnick Restaurant, um, an Indian restaurant. And um, I went there cold turkey and it was, I ran it for about three years. And um, I, it was an all female, again, an all female run kitchen there as well. And I actually advertised for kitchen staff standing outside of Walmart. Okay. Standing outside of Walmart because it was part of my business plan was, you know what, where my specialty is, is I, I bring in moms, I bring in women, I bring in new immigrants who are looking for work, who don't want to sit, they don't want welfare. They're looking to plug themselves into some meaningful work and my, my only request is you have a love of learning to cook. And so I would go to gas stations and say, and I would go to 7-Elevens. I would go to Walmart and I would hand out my card and say, if you're looking for work. So the restaurant in Seattle was uh, uh, Eritrean refugee women, Ethiopian um, and women from India, all new immigrants. And I trained them all to cook Indian food. And in um, December 2012, so this kitchen of all women with no previous professional background, except for a really strong, strong work, work ethic. So we were in the semifinals, right? And for the James Beard Foundation, we were in the semifinals for best new restaurant in the United States. So whereas in Vancouver, Vidges is always plugged as Indian, right? I've never been able to get over. I've never been able to be respected. You know what? We are a restaurant in our own right. So in, in the U.S., uh, so we were put in there for best new restaurant in the entire country. And the U.S. is much bigger than Canada. And so I'm going on about this just to show how we just don't, we're not creative in the talent pool that we have to untap. Absolutely. Congratulations, by the way. That's a, such a milestone, a huge accomplishment. I, I want to ask you, do you find that you wouldn't have been able to attract the people who now work in your kitchens? Had you just had an online posting or had you just waited for them to come to your restaurant's doors? Is there something about certain kinds of work that well, these people um, are maybe looking at? So 
our, our way of looking for work is very limited, right? Um, my restaurants function differently in that I had no professional experience 20, almost 28 years ago. My background is economics. I've got a master's of science in economic development. Um, so I think because a, I'm a, you know, I identify as a woman, um, I had no professional experience. I started washing dishes at Vikram's brand new, I think it was three months old restaurant. Um, so because that was my own background, I wasn't asphyxiated right? In terms of who I was going to ask to apply for a job in my own kitchen, because I thought, whoa, look at my own potential, right? So if I had this unknown potential, who else is out there? It doesn't mean to say that um, I just hire anybody, like I interview, right? But I let many more people come in for the interview. And a lot of people don't look online necessarily, right? A lot of people themselves, and I know I, I lecture, not lecture, I give talks to young women a lot, and um, one of the things I always say in hindsight is, you know, we are in a way taught to follow your passion, right? Follow your passion, follow your passion. But then if we don't make it in our passion, we start feeling like as if we have not accomplished something, as if we have not succeeded. And, you know, I find even that very limiting. We just limit ourselves. So, you know what? Just don't follow your number one passion, but make sure you've got passion number two, passion number three, passion number four. And so that's how I feel about hiring as well, is just don't limit yourself. Like always have alternatives that are just as good and are going to satisfy you just as much. That's a great piece of insight because it's almost like putting all of your eggs in one basket. If you just have one passion and you can't find a job that supports that, you're setting yourself up to fail. Not just to fail, but to be unhappy at the job you do get. Right. Right. We have a feature in our latest issue of Women in Business magazine that talks about some of the barriers to increasing inclusivity or diversity in the restaurant space, Mm -hmm. long Mm -hmm. hours, late hours, uh, a traditionally perhaps toxic work environment and culture. Uh, Have you been able to set the tone for your own kitchens because you led them? Have you thought a lot about the culture you want to create in the restaurants you run? Yeah, um, not just the kitchen, but also the front of the house. Mm. Because the two work together. They need to have a mutual respect for one another versus uh, constantly, um, I wouldn't say going against, but complaining about the other or not understanding the other. So um, I don't necessarily consider it that I'm running just a restaurant, right? I feel like, you know what, so, you know, up and down the past 28, you know, it's been 28 years and, you know, we've gone from oh, like 180 employees to then, you know, pandemic, closing down Rangoli restaurant, which is a big decision to make. So, you know, we've had ups and I, I don't want to say ups and downs, but we have had waves in terms of um, running the business. And so in terms of, you know, toxicity, um, the first thing that I do is I mean, in, in order, right, is I'm firm and I have to be firm because I'm the leader, right? So I am firm. Number two, in that order, I'm kind. And after that, number three, I'm respectful, right? Yelling, ego, uh, it's all about me is not a part of it. So whatever I have to say, whatever I want people to do, right? It is firm, kind, and respectful. And I have found that, you know, it might sound all airy-fairy that I say this, but it has been incredible in what we have been able to accomplish in-house at Vidges. So, you know, for example, um, early on, and this was not popular, early on, I had said to my front staff, I said, it, I am putting the burden on English-speaking front staff 
to figure out how to communicate with non-English speaking kitchen staff. And so the feedback I got, but, but they're the ones who come to Canada. They're the ones who need to learn how to speak English, right? So why are you making, you know, Canadian English speakers try to figure out how to communicate with people who are supposed to be learning English, right? So you would think I'm going against what the logic says. And my response was, well, I need to be right now running the kitchen. And a lot of the women are moms and they're taking public transit from Surrey or Richmond to Vancouver. And uh, I don't think speaking English can be a priority for them right now. They are trying to um, create households. They are trying to earn a lot of money. And you all are going to come and go from the house. But I am trying to create an anchor. I am trying to create a building in the kitchen. And as a result, what happened was the front of the house gained a bigger respect for the kitchen. Kitchen gained a bigger respect for the front. And it just increase the communication and I have zero turnover in the kitchen. I was correct about that, right? You build a strong enough foundation. And so after the pandemic, people were complaining about, oh my God, we don't have enough staff, right? That investment that I made in the kitchen, right? Saying, okay, no, this is the anchor I'm creating really paid off for me and Vikram. It paid off for, it paid off for us in terms of being able to keep the restaurant open seven days of the week. Right. That we've talked a lot about EDI on our podcast. I think that's one of the most practical things I've ever heard in terms of the results that you've achieved, but also it can seem so small, but it is that anchor and it's a perspective shift and getting people to, to come along with you and seeing things a little bit differently as opposed to uh, having expectations of what people should do. Yeah. And I think a lot of it is um, learning what do we want to copy that other businesses are doing, Right. And what do we not want to copy? And we may not be perceived as very smart for not copying, but you know what, like really doing what we think works for our independent individual business versus what we are perceived as doing. Tell me a bit, speaking of uh, new businesses, you have a relatively new venture in my Bambiri. Tell me a bit about that and also what you're building there in terms of culture and best practices. Yeah, so my Bambiri, um, you know, I'm, business is a very loosey-goosey word for it. And I just as easily should have, could have called it a social enterprise. I just wasn't sure. And I didn't want to worry about the label of what it was. What, um, after, you know, 26 years, I started two years ago, 26 years, um, I thought, okay, what have I learned? Right? You know, good and bad, what have I learned in the food business? And uh, one thing that Vidges has not been able to do is our food is not accessible to low-income families, right? What I've accomplished, you know, in terms of staffing, in terms of morale, in terms of success, um, in terms of supporting, you know, BC organic industry and sustainability and so on, um, that did not translate. That's to people who are either lower middle class or just low income. So that's one thing I thought about. Number two, okay, climate change is a very big deal for me. Um, my job isn't going to be, I can't do everything. So I thought, all right, I can't focus on, you know, getting banks to divest in fossil fuel. What all the other things out there, my pedestal is um, food and sustainability with food. And so I thought, all right, um, you know, farmers markets and whole foods, they are not going to save the planet in terms of food, right? It's, I, I mean, it's, I'm not cutting them down, but, you know, that's not, that's not our savior, right? Um, and so I thought, okay, about accessibility, and then I thought, all right, you know, I'm, how do I support my farmers? And 
So I thought, okay, we're going to do a regeneratively farmed produce for the baby food. I chose babies because we can all unite on the importance of babies, right? And, and it was a fun challenge for me. I cook for adults, right? And I'm a mother and I'm interested in food. And I thought, now babies, that's a great one. That, it gives me something chunky to focus on during the pandemic where we, you know, we're all kind of stuck. And so I combined the baby aspect in terms of we all love babies. And that's the starting point of a healthy body right, is what we teach the babies and toddlers to eat. And then the next part was sustainability with the farmers. And then the tricky part was, but how do I make this as a business accessible, right, accessible to more than upper middle class people? And so I am pricing it on an income-based pricing model. Mm. And uh, that's what makes it the most fun for me. That's what makes it, uh, and, you know, within my cap, my, my small C capitalism, can I create a successful business that doesn't have one price tag on it. All right. And so that's what I'm working on. I've made mistakes, uh, mistake being, you know, I didn't understand supply chain was going to be such a big issue. So when I started out the baby food two years ago, um, I'm used to the restaurant industry. I made a whole bunch of baby food because that was for me saving money. Oh, I'll make big batches of it. But then afterwards, when I went to find the containers for it, and the packaging, I realized like, wow, we are nine months delayed, right? So that was a bit of mistake that I made there. However, in my microcosm of selling it online and selling it through picking up at Fidges, um, I've got three pricing levels. And so um, my cost for you to buy the baby food for 12 is $42, all organic, all original recipes, all really healthy for the baby. It's $42. Um, however, if you have $100 in your pocket, $10 to you is the same agency as $1 is to me if I have $10 in my pocket, right? My $1 to me is the same as the $10 to you. I just happen to be working as a cashier, right? At, at, at let's say at a, at, a, at a market and I'm earning minimum wage, whereas you're earning something else. So that's how I priced it. So 42 for me, $60 for 12, if you've got the agency for um, 12 and then $24 for 12, if that's what your agency is. So what I'm trying to do is create this loop. Like we're all connected in the same loop and we're paying by agency. And um, I've, I have actually found that it has worked. It, it actually, I mean, again, I, it has, it's not a big project right now. I'm in no hurry, right? I'm just so thrilled that it is working right now. And I have people purchasing at all three levels um, for the baby food. And I'm averaging the $42. That's fantastic. I, I wanted to ask, I think that would be on most people's minds. Is it an honor system? And are people just going to purchase at the lowest price? But it sounds like, no, you've had people across all three price points. Yeah, I'm very, you know, here's the thing. And people, my, my employees like, oh my God, here she goes, Miss Positivity all over again. Um, you know, I, I just feel that the risk, we look at everything as almost like being risk averse, okay? But those of us who don't have to be risk averse, okay? If we're not creative with new ideas, who is? Like, for example, when I was 30 years old and Vikram and I were starting Vidges and it was a 14 seat restaurant, we had used our life savings to of $32,000 at the time. I took a fake loan from Bank of Montreal. We already paid it back so I can say this out loud, right? Um, I took a fake loan of $10,000 saying, oh, we're going to start a family. I need money. 
Um, we had to be risk averse at that point, right? But 28 years later, um, I can afford to be creative versus just risk averse. And so um, I'm, I'm very positive that what we put out there, and it's all about how I phrase the income-based pricing. It's not just one, two, three, four, five. It, I spent so much time communicating, all right, how do I do this communication about how I'm going to price this with a form of um, inclusive dignity so that the well-off person earning 200, the well-off parents earning 200K a year, they're not feeling like we're participating in a charity scheme where we are giving to the poor people, but the person working for minimum, a dishwasher for it, and this is where it comes from me, our dishwasher at Vidges and all the restaurants work, they work so hard. We need the dishwashers, right? We need them. The bussers work so hard, but they're not going to be earning the same amount as the maitre d' is earning, as the owners are earning. Do we say you all don't deserve to have kids and your kids don't deserve to be healthy? No, absolutely not, right? And so for me, it was like, how do I create the same dignified purchasing circle, right, for my dishwasher? Or for somebody, again, work in that cash register, um, at minimum wage, a farm helper, and somebody earning 250K a year, because the babies have to start off as equally as possible. Absolutely. Before I let you go, Miru, a theme of our conversation, I think, is thinking outside of the box, thinking creatively, not getting hung up on barriers and trying to just come up with innovative solutions what advice do you have for the next generation of business leaders, but also perhaps for business leaders now who are dealing with a lot of challenges and need a source of creativity and some inspiration to deal with them? Uh, so, you know what you have to, I mean, has, this, I, I use my balancing scales, right? So you look at what you have financially, okay? You look at what's yours and what you can afford to risk. You look at what the leverage, like what loans are you taking out? Like look at your financial situation, right? That's one weight. That middle weight is you. Okay. It's you. And when I say you don't do things because a book tells you to, or because an instructor or a course tells you to sure take in that information, but you need, you need to connect it to who you are. So for example, if you thrive working solo, because you just know you are not a good sharer in terms of, um, you know, like, you have, like you just you just know that you're a solo worker, make sure you follow that you are a solo worker. If you know that you're, you're not good at solo, that you thrive with a partnership, like figure out how you thrive best, right? Don't beat yourself up, right? Identify who you are and how you work best. You don't want people not liking you either, right? Yeah. You don't want that either. You don't want to argue. You don't want to get into a falling out with a future partner either, right? Like, so look at yourself. And then the third part of it is, okay, look at who is your outreach, right? Who is your outreach and what is your goal in the outreach and how can you get that outreach in a meaningful way that you also enjoy and can, and can build upon, all right? I don't know if I'm sounding all positive and preachy right now, um, but take in what we read, take in what we're learning, but it needs to be very, very personally applied versus not digging deep into who you are, because that's what's going to determine the longevity of your um, venture, right? And the strength of your venture. I know a lot of people who just get partnerships because they think they need to, because they want the money, right? They want that money. 
And then there's suddenly there's three of them and they become successful. And two years later, um, they're all bickering and feeling like the victim of the other, right? Mm-hmm. And then trying to buy out the other. And you know what? That is a real wasted energy that's not being spent on be- building the business. It's spent on salvaging a business. I think we can, to your point about positivity, we can all use a little bit of positivity at this point in time. I know you're busy. I so appreciate the opportunity to meet you and to speak with you. Thank you for being generous with your insight and your advice today. Thank you. Joining me today on our Women in Business podcast series was Miru Dalwala, co-owner and chef at Vidges, the founder of her latest venture, My Bambiri, which you heard a little bit about today. I'm Haley Wooden, executive editor of Business in Vancouver. Thanks so much for listening. You can find all of our episodes in this series and for our regular podcast at BIV.com slash audio.